What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. Welcome to the Wealth Managed Podcast. I'm Michael Finca, Professor of Wealth Management at the American College. And I'm David Blanchett, Head of Retirement Research at PGM. Now, we do a lot of research on retirement income planning, and we think a lot about not just risk early on in retirement, but also risk later on. And what are the strategies that you can use in order to avoid that risk? One of the explanations that I hear very often for investing more of a portfolio in riskier assets like stocks is that it reduces your risk of running out of money because it provides a higher expected return. I also hear that it provides protection against inflation because it has a higher expected return. But some people will say that there's also always a possibility that if you take investment risk, that your portfolio could fall early on in retirement. Therefore, it's good to have some sort of a lifetime income guarantee tagged onto the investment portfolio, either through a longevity annuity or through a lifetime income benefit. Now, one of the problems with that lifetime income benefit is that it is not adjusted by inflation. So that means it's subject to inflation risk. So how do you, in your mind, balance out this late life inflation risk with also the risk that because you get a poor sequence of returns early on in retirement, you're not going to have enough money to sustain a lifestyle? There's there's obviously quite a bit to unpack there. Um, I think the first thing to note is that you know, a lot of academics who start talking about annuities have talked about real SPIAs for a really long time. So real SPIA is a median annuity that has benefits linked to inflation, like the CPI. Where can I buy you, a real SPIA? Yeah, that's you the, can, though. Well, you can. Social Security retirement benefits is is a real SPIA. Yes. Right? It, is a, it is a pension benefit that is guaranteed for life and linked to inflation. So because of that, it's, it's incredibly valuable. But I think that, you know, for me, the focus is kind of is on the margin. So, okay, you know, you've optimized claiming Social Security or you've delayed or it's too late. Like, what do you do now? Right. You know, what is the most efficient way to create certainty around longevity risk? And, you know, I think we can we can talk about DIAs or QLACs. You know, we know that Michael loves a good QLAC every now and then. And for those of you that don't know what QLACs are, QLACs are qualified longevity annuity contracts. You can put up to $200,000 in an IRA, for example, and buy them where they provide late life um, income guarantees. Academics love these, and I don't. I don't dislike them, but the one thing that they don't have is any kind of link whatsoever to inflation, right? So you can buy a product that will that will guarantee you. You know, I'll just pick a number. You know, fifty thousand dollars a year for life that kicks in in fifteen years. But you know, how much that's actually going to be worth in fifteen years really depends upon what what is inflation between not only now and then, but then after the benefit commences. And I think that to me, there's this kind of larger question to your earlier point about how we think about, about risk, where you know, people often say, well, a traditional like SPIA that provides um, income benefits you know, immediately, but it's not linked to inflation. Yes, it's doing a good job hedging longevity risk to some extent, but it ignores inflation risk. And so I think to me, there's this larger question of this, you know, this, this idea that there really is a benefit to having income that is, that is in equities. There is, there is a benefit to have, you know, money that is allocated to riskier assets because they have done a better job as an inflation hedge over time. I actually, I think the value 
of equities is more along the lines of the inflation hedge historically than the returns. Sure, it's outperformed bonds over the long term, but to me, it's just the fact that it, it tends to kind of co-vary more with inflation than, than bonds do, especially over a longer time horizon. And that's, I think, one of the things that we found from empirical research is that over long-term time horizons, stocks start looking better and better. So their ability to serve as an inflation hedge, the amount of variation in the returns over a 10 or 20 year time horizon historically has made them a very attractive type of investment. So I, I don't disagree with you at all there. Now, I, I would also make the point that they do perform so well because they don't perform in a manner that's consistent with economic theory. So economic theory would say that over a 10 year time horizon or a 20 year time horizon, there should be just as big a likelihood that stocks are gonna significantly underperform safer investments as they are going to outperform. But that's just not what we've seen, especially in the United States, but also in other countries as well, is that stocks tend to be less risky. Therefore, if your goal is to invest for later life spending and you want that investment to not be subject to the risk of potentially losing purchasing power, equities are actually pretty attractive. Yeah, I mean, I think like the, the, what's really important here is, is, how, is how we define risk, right? So people get all grumpy about this topic sometimes. And I think that, that to me, like the factors that are driving the return on stocks should also be driving inflation to some extent, right? So like, like the key is not that, you know, like there's a lot of volatility if you own equities, but the fundamental way that they operate should provide you a reasonable inflation hedge, especially over longer periods. So like what I view there is, you know, even, even if you combine this inside of some kind of, you know, annuity where the benefit of change is based upon some risk, that could actually be a good thing. People get kind of antsy when you say, oh, what do you mean? It's not some kind of fixed nominal value. Well, like people like this notion of a fixed value, but actually taking on some risk, I think can be very viable. I think that there's a reason that, that very few investors have all of their money in bonds, right? When you invest in equities, you're taking risk, your portfolio could go down. There's pretty wide acceptance that, you know, having a, maybe a balanced allocation to half stocks and half bonds makes a lot of sense. I think that, that for some reason right now, when it comes to longevity solutions, we're still really fixated on, on the big G, on guarantees. I think what we need is, is more income that's pr protected for life, but maybe provides more of this flexibility where it could go down if markets don't do well, because at the same time, it's providing that kind of at least implicit inflation hedge where if, if inflation is high, equity should do relatively well. So this gets to ideal design of retirement income products. And you know the original design for the variable annuity, early 1950s, William Greenoff, in the Journal of Finance, Financial Economist, basically spells out this idea that if you want long-term inflation protection, then you should have some sort of a product that provides that guaranteed lifetime income, but also invest in stocks. So his design essentially allowed that income to rise or fall over time based on the performance of the stock market. But what he found is that over time, when he looked at historical periods, it would, after maybe 10 or 20 periods, do a better job of helping people's income keep up with inflation than if they had simply bought an immediate annuity, someone that did not incorporate that additional element of equity risk. Mm -hmm. Now, we should also say, I mean, first of all, that to me is the ultimate design. And, you know, TIA offers that type of an annuity Incredible. right yeah. now. 
that's the only company that really offers that design of a variable income annuity. But there's no reason an asset manager couldn't also offer that type of a product that provided variable income over time, but also lifetime income protection and incorporated an allocation to equities that is consistent with what people want in terms of income variability over time. Yeah, I mean, so you're talking about a taunty, right? Yes. I mean, I think, I think well, I mean, the, the key, right, with products like Kraft is that you have, you don't share in the mortality experience, you, sh- you, you, have, you, have, you have investment risk, and so to speak. With the Tontine, you're, you're just sharing both, right? And I think, yeah. that, you know, we see Tontines already in Canada. There's, there's already one that's available to some extent in the U.S. I think that we're going to see more structures in the future to provide this flexibility because guarantees can be very expensive. And so to me, there's not only this implicit hedge of inflation when you move into these riskier assets, but you also can get cheaper protection, like like GLWBs. I used to love GLWBs, especially on variable annuities, but we've seen that a lot of companies that have issued them have gotten destroyed in the stock market because of the costs of, of actually issuing them. So I think that you know what I'm excited about is, is, is a future where we do have maybe a larger continuum of products that do allow more of this kind of risk sharing to better help someone understand, hey, yes, there's a trade-off here. My income could go down. There's also a pretty good chance it could go up, especially if inflation is high. So that's, I think, what people need to understand. And especially if they don't incorporate any element of annuitization, is that there is always this possibility that if I get unlucky, my income is going to have to go down. And even in real terms. So I could invest, I could load up on equities, get unlucky. I really have to cut back later on in life. Equities maybe have not done a good enough job of helping my portfolio keep up with inflation. If I live a long time, that's an added source of risk. So it's not the answer to protecting against inflation risk always. You're always exposed to that potential downside of living a long time and starting to see that investment account deplete. And that's what these lifetime income benefits or some different type of structure that allows a lifetime withdrawal, including things like tontines, protects you against. It allows you to essentially spend more every year because you're insulated from the risk that your lifestyle is gonna go down later. I agree. Let's take a break for a moment. Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at theamericancollege.edu slash WMCP. Hey, let's get back to our conversation. So let's talk a little bit about inflation risk, because I, I think that maybe we don't have the right numbers to be able to envision how big of a risk inflation has been, even in the United States historically. So imagine that you retired with a pension of $100,000 today, which is enough. You think I'm going to be fine. I have $100,000 a year in nominal terms. Now, in the last 20 or 30 years, we haven't really seen high inflation. So you know, maybe our $100,000 turns into $60,000 of purchasing power over a 20-year time horizon. I can live with that because by the time I'm 85, I'm not spending very much money anyway. If I lose a little bit of purchasing power, no big deal. It's not going to affect my lifestyle. But what happens if we have the experience of people who retired in the mid-1960s? So they went from $100,000 of spending a year. And 20 years later, in the mid-1980s, they essentially had $27,000 of purchasing power. That's the risk. The risk is that you're going to have to cut back so significantly on your lifestyle that, I mean, it's basically the equivalent of losing a lot of money in a risky investment, because it means that I'm going to have to pull back on the lifestyle that I expected to leave. So I don't disagree, but like, I think one really important point when I think about inflation risk, or two maybe, is that 
one, most Americans already have an income benefit that is explicitly linked to inflation, Social Security. So if inflation is really, really high, they're covered to some extent. The second thing is, is that there's a lot of evidence that people don't actually increase their consumption every year by inflation in retirement. So they, like Social Security can actually, can actually do a, a disproportional job of covering future inflation increases. So I think that I think there is an important element to having the possibility of raises if inflation is significant in retirement, but it doesn't have to be as strong as you might use in more traditional models, given the way that people tend to change their spending over time and the existence of Social Security today. So in other words, there aren't a lot of 85 and 90-year-olds that are going on long vacations or that are spending a lot of money on the kind of things that they spent money on between 65 and 75, by the time you hit age 90, you're just not doing as much, which means that you may not need as much in terms of inflation adjusted spending. So I would say that that there could be, but I would view it differently, whereby the disutility not being able to do so isn't going to mean as much, right? So, you know, like maybe you can't go on that vacation, but you might not care because that is healthy. So I think that the key right. to me is, you know, what is the impact if you happen to have that shortfall? Like what is the, the distribution of outcomes? And, you know, and, and as you age, people tend to slow down. So you, when you kind of take a, like a holistic picture of all of someone's assets, all their liabilities, like this notion that it's somehow a, a nominal guarantee is, is the right path forward, especially if it's subject to inflation risk, you know, throughout retirement, it might not be the best way to think about how to play a bill of retirement. So also let, let's end on this idea of having that shared longevity risk. One of the benefits that it gives you is that if you get unlucky early on in retirement, you don't have to cut back as much as if, if you did not have that protection. So one of the benefits of protection, whether it be by delaying social security, getting a higher inflation adjusted income, or buying some sort of lifetime income protection, in the face of bad luck, you can spend more. That's the biggest benefit of it, relatively. Because if you're not protected, you're going to have to cut back more early on when the money means the most, when you can actually get the most satisfaction out of the money that you save for retirement. This is Chris, one of the producers of the show. Hey, Michael, David, are Americans entitled? They think they should live like kings their entire life until they're in the grave? Is there some sort of imbalance with those types of expectations that we have? Well, I mean, first, let's say that Social Security, compared to other type of nationalized annuity programs, is generous. A lot of people like to say Social Security, you know, it's hard to live on it. Well, it would be even hard to live on the kind of old age pension that you get in Canada or Australia or a lot of European countries. So that is pretty generous. And especially if you delay claiming, that's a pretty good basic lifestyle that is inflation protected. Now, one of the things I do worry about is that people might have expectations about what kind of income their money can buy that is unrealistic based on how well the stock market has done historically. So I think that you know, in the defined contribution era, where a lot more people are investing in stocks through the retirement accounts, maybe we can't expect some of the same returns that investors got historically. And in that sense, I, I think people may believe that they're entitled to those returns, but it may not be likely that they're actually going to get it. All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wealth Managed. I'm Michael Finko. And I'm David Blanchett. See you later. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services. 